Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I am your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Stoic Mom, who is a life coach and the mother of a trans-identified daughter. In this conversation, we talk about her journey along with her daughter through the through the forests through the rivers, forests, and mountains of gender, as well as we talk about attachment and grief and liberalism and mothering and parenting and a wide variety of topics around family and relationship. I find Stoic Mom to be a wonderful guest. And if you agree with me about her wonderfulness, do check out her work, which is linked in the description. She does a lot of essays on Substack, as well as offering coaching services for parents of all types. So without further ado, here is Stoic Mom. Time is weird. We should just go to one universal time. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. That would take some doing, I would think. It would take like some sort of like an alien invasion, something that brings the world together, you know? Right. Yes. You would think some of the things that have been happening would have brought the world together by now. <laughs> Not quite the but comet maybe. that we're expecting, but maybe. Right. Maybe that time is coming soon. Are you praying for it every day? Um, God, give I'm us optimist. an ultimatum. You're optimistic. <laughs> I'm optimistic. Okay. You know, I, I am. Thank goodness. I don't, I don't know how I'd be doing if I wasn't, you know, it's... Does that make sense? Like, well, I'm, like I'm optimistic. optimistic on like what level? Like, like eventually humanity is going to solve all its problems through technology. Optimistic? No, or? no. I would say optimistic, and that we're going to get, we're going to maybe get better at integrating left brain, right brain, oh, and okay. yes, be able to show up a little differently. It seems like there are lots of airplanes oh. right now in my world. Are you hearing them? Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> Is your husband like flying his little drones around your house? <laughs> no, he doesn't have any drones. Oh, okay. He'd probably like to have drones though. That you know of. <laughs> this is true. This is true. This is pretty weird for me. Is but it? also not weird because I've heard your voice so often, you know. Yeah. yeah. I will admit I, I haven't been listening much lately. I haven't been very plugged into the gender content and yeah. Or even the wars, even the culture wars. You know, I'm just not. What are you doing, like gardening? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Gardening, um, mindfulness, you know, and... and Was that just um, staring at a wall? No, no, it's being present. It's It's not time traveling. You know, it's not hanging out in the past, beating myself up or, you know, hanging out in the future, terrified of, you know, certain outcomes that I don't have a lot of control over. 
Hmm. So just paying attention. That's sort of um, neutral observer idea, you know, that comes out of meditation and mindfulness and um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Which is, I think, how I'm able to stay sane in the madness. <laughs> yeah. What What prompted you to stop fighting, stop time traveling? Like, was it just things came to a head for you? Or? Um, yeah, I would say it was a slow process. Um, what I was doing wasn't working. You know, I was, yeah. I could feel the stress in my body all the time. And yeah. I was losing my mind a bit. It just got to be unsustainable. I had to figure something else out. And, and it was kind of uh, figuring out how to walk my talk, if that makes sense. Like, okay. What was your talk? Well, I'm a certified life coach and, and have been oh. since 2014. Yes. Okay. Before that, I was a classroom educator in elementary school. Okay. So um, you're a wise person <laughs> and a gracious well, authority. <laughs> I think I was an, an intelligent person, you okay. know, but it was all up in my head and not in my body, if that makes sense. I could... Yeah. I could talk pretty, but I wasn't necessarily living it. Hmm. And so I know why I ruffle some feathers when I say I'm grateful for this experience with my daughter because of that, because it demanded that I walk my talk. Right. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. I, I had to embody the things I was saying. And didn't Give, realize that I wasn't even. What's an example know. of the things you were saying? Um, you can't control other people, <laughs> only how you respond. You know, you can't control external circumstances, just how you respond to them. And here I was trying to control my daughter. So I had to, I just had to figure out how to show up differently and not not um sorry i i i i needed to start paying attention to how i was reacting to her right i wanted to be responsive not reactive i had to figure out why she these conversations with her could always trigger me you know i could go into a conversation determined not to get triggered and it seemed to happen every time you know and so i know that's not really an example of walking my talk but well i you know i was i was personal responsibility is definitely one of my values you know and so taking personal responsibility for my experience is what i needed to model for her yeah yeah it was recognizing that she was a very clear reflection of all the things about myself <laughs> that needed healing. Okay. So I, I, I was using, we're jumping right in. I didn't mean to. <laughs> we do that on this channel. 
Yes, we do. I have noticed that. <laughs> I thought we'd lead up to this a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, I could. It, it, it was a it was a combination of things. The what I'm doing isn't working. Right, paying attention to what I'm modeling for my kid. And giving her an example of a of womanhood that maybe might be attractive for her, because that was another component of this to me. And something that I see is happening across the board is we've got a generation who is afraid to grow up. I think that we have made adulthood look very unattractive. Hmm. And there's not a lot of motivation. You know, there's not a lot of incentive to participate. Um, like a responsible adult, you know, engaged in the world. Mm-hmm. I think we've made it look really scary. And so I wanted to model adulthood in a way that might be more attractive. And I was a wreck. Right? So, mm. you know, as this, this was kind of piled on some other things. And I just don't think I was making it look very fun. Yeah. And, so I set about to change that. And, and that's, you know, kind of where Stoic Mom comes from, is I really like the Stoic principle of the obstacle is the way, you know, instead of why is this happening to me and to my yeah. family, changing the question and making it about what can I learn from this? How can I grow and be a better version of me through this experience? When did it start and why gender of all the things? With my kid? Yeah, with your kid. Um, honestly, at this point, I'd say, why not gender? I mean, it, it's, a, it's a strategy is how I see it. So it started, it depends on who you ask. Um, it started for me in 2018. But if you ask her, it started for her probably a couple years prior to that. And like most of these kids, she discovered it online. But I've, you know, I've got a precocious girl who um, had been sailing through childhood, had a very, you know, easy (laughs) time in school, not super invested, but it also wasn't super hard. Right. And so. What about social? Oh, Social. she was great. She was great. She was very a very confident kid, very outgoing, had a pretty solid friend group. Hmm. Um, middle school started to get hard, like it does for most kids <laughs> these days. Middle school is difficult. In the school we were in, which is where I taught, we were both founding members of this charter school. It was an IB charter school. And I was one of the founding teachers and she was one of the founding first graders in that school. And so very much identified with the culture of the school, which was a bit weird. And, you know. Yeah. But you guys were kind of pod, pod, daughter, daughter, mother. Pod. Pretty tight. Like you're you're in a pod. I mean, if you're, yeah, if if she's going to school, you're teaching it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I, I totally think at least the moms that find their way to me. There's a certain level of enmeshment, and I'd love to, to talk about enmeshment. Yeah. Okay, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Were you uh, 
um, were you aware of that quality of your relationship with your daughter? Or were you, was it just what it was? No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, I'd been very intentional in, in relationship. That's my philosophy as an educator and a parent is, um, relationship is key, <laughs> right? So that was always my, what does that mean? Is, well, as far as going on walks, telling jokes to each other, um, dishing on all the gossip. Yeah. Having the ways day. to connect, you know, just okay. shared interests. And, and I, at that point, I, I wouldn't have known some of the terminology I would use today when it comes to attachment. Um, but hmm. you know, collecting her regularly <laughs> as far as just having shared interests and yeah. dinner at the table and, you know, family things that we did together, just, you know, intentional in the relationship aspect of it, knowing that come adolescence, it's, it was going to be the relationship that would make adolescence uh, more doable. Yeah. <laughs> right? Little did you know. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. who, who could have foreseen this and yeah. And so I, I mean, I think, I think gender isn't that dissimilar of a strategy as, as some of the other things out there right now that kids identify with, you know, okay. I think it, I think it fits right in with like some of the diagnoses that they seek. Um, mm -hmm. Strategy just, for what? Self-declaration, uh, uh, actualization, or yeah, or, or manipulation, of, identity, okay. um, exploration. Right, these normal adolescent things. Yeah, I think they're going to. I think these they they've got to figure out who they are in the world. That's what they do at this age. It's very developmentally appropriate, and so they're going to use the strategies of the day, and this is one of them. I mean, yeah. I assert often that the kids aren't doing anything weird. It's the grownups. <laughs> well, yeah. Just go downtown this month. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But the, but the adolescents are doing adolescent things. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're, yeah. they're trying to figure who they figure out who they are in the world. And this is one strategy. It's a strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, I think we give it too much power. And and I did. I okay. gave it too much power. Okay. You know? yes. so, so a male identity for your daughter, could it have been um, a way to grow, di differentiate herself from you? Yes. Yes. That would be part of it. That, okay. that would be one need that the strategy fulfills. Okay. Okay. So there's a lot <laughs> of different things. Many. So. Yes. Okay, so 2016, 2018. So 2016, how old is she? She would have been in sixth grade. And okay. she says she discovered it. And she figured this out about herself in fifth oh, grade. Okay. Um, so 11 and 12. Yeah, 10, 11. And was this, was it like, um, was it a sexuality identity? Like, oh, I'm bi, I'm lesbian. Kids are like really obsessed with that right now. Um, before they even have like actual desire, like they're already identifying into that, or was the gender thing kind of? Uh, I think a erotic I think this or is the, this yeah. is another strategy, or, right? This is another need that is filled with this strategy. Is I think it's a way to opt out of sexuality. 
Okay. Yeah. At least for my kid, maybe not all of them, but for mine, okay. this, this was a way I think to just not even touch that. Like she wasn't ready to see herself as a sexual being. Yeah. And I think this gave her a way to not do that. Okay. Yeah. Avoid, avoid romantic type relationships. Yeah. Yeah. When did you notice? I mean, it's kind of all tied up in adolescence. So she's changing pretty rapidly, 11, 12, 13, right? So. Yeah. yeah. And, and school is getting trickier. And this is something, too, that I think is important kind of about who I am as, um, and how I approach this and other things with my kids. I do think I have a pretty different value set than a lot of people. Um, I had left teaching before she hit middle school and have some pretty strong opinions about our education system. And so was very open to doing something different when adult, when middle school was what it was, right? Because it was making her sick. Okay. She was, she was very stressed. And I personally, the, the I think course loads or the social, aspect it was a what? big leap, you know, between, especially in the school where we were, the, the elementary and, and middle school were very different. Okay. And so it really was a huge leap to go from fifth grade into sixth grade where the expectations were very different. And yeah. she just wasn't from, from my perspective, I would say she wasn't super interested in the content but she suddenly cared what her teachers thought. Right. And hmm. so this created a lot of stress for her because hmm. she didn't, she didn't really want to do the content, but she didn't want to disappoint her teachers who all knew me. Right. I think there was extra pressure on everybody there to for yeah. her to perform. And she just wasn't really into it <laughs> and was, um, it, this was, this was, Difficult for her father, too, who who very much values the system, you know, and and so there was some there's a little bit of conflict going on there, too, in the, in the home, you know, with. There was just a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, that brings up, I think, another or another aspect of this that that I have a lot of curiosity around and I. And that is the sensitivity of this cohort of kids that find this really attractive. I think, and I think personally, my, my hypothesis here, and I'm, I'm not an attachment expert. I'm just somebody who finds, finds that framework really interesting as I'm trying to make sense I'm, of the human experience, right? I'm just obsessed with that, the human experience. Okay. So I'm always just trying to make sense of things. Yeah. Um, but I think we've raised, you know, that enmeshment I talked about earlier, that sort of focus on relationship. I think we've, we've raised a a very sensitive generation. I think, you know, part of that sensitivity comes from the way we raise them. If that makes sense. Okay. Because I, I think we're hyper attuned. I think a lot of the moms that I work with are hyper attuned to their children and they're hyper attuned to us. Yeah. Yes. And so when there is like stress and conflict in the home, you know, part of me wonders if there was some unconscious mechanism that drew the attention to her, right? Away from sort of maybe the conflict between 
me and my husband at the time. Now we have this shared interest in our daughter <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, attending to her difficulties. If that makes sense. Yes. And yeah. I'm happy to say it worked. <laughs> you know, our relationship was in a lot of trouble at the time. And I would say our, my you, husband, you and husband, my husband yeah, and yeah, myself. Yeah. yeah. And now I, we are solid. <laughs> Really, really good. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but you, you said that you left working at the school at this point, and is this when you went into life coaching or coaching life? Mm-hmm. It is. I didn't do a lot of one-on-one work back then. Um, I worked with women in business, and I oh. I did retreats for women in business and masterminds. Um, which is, yeah, it's, um, it's just a a meeting structure where people come together to support each other. So it's that sort of idea that if you get more heads together, you know, you come up with more creative solutions. And so people could bring their problems to the mastermind and get input from other women in business and brainstorm together. Hmm. So I I used it and, and I did workshops and education, um, events. What was that like working with all these high powered women? It was intimidating, you know, I mean, there was, I kind of launched myself <laughs> into the scene because that's, that's how I roll, you know, as I, I tend to get in quickly with lots of confidence. And then once I'm in, I'm like, oh, oh, I'm in over my head. Right. And then I, then I panic a little and, <laughs> and it was hard, you know, it was really, really fun in the beginning. And then I started uh, like researching, you know, paying attention, (laughs) um, and thinking, Oh, be, you know, being in business for myself is, is hard and it's going to take a lot of work and it's, it's a lot of learning and, and it was just intimidating, you know, Mm -hmm. and there were other high powered, like truly high powered, you know, female coaches in the space that I was in and I got intimidated and was thinking, Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't compete with, with these other coaches. And so started playing really small actually there for a while. I was, I was, I was in a pretty difficult place in 2018. What do you mean playing small? This sounds like a female life coach term, like (laughs) showing up playing right yeah i just had a real crisis of confidence okay um and and stopped putting myself out there um as far as i I went into kind of input mode which so i'm thinking like input output am i creating or am i learning am i am i taking in information or am i creating and and offering things to the world right and i kind of went into intense input mode and wasn't making any money and (laughs) and then you know my daughter is also struggling at the same time and i got to figure something out for her you know because it's creating a bit of a crisis in the family And so I kind of shifted away from that and actually started researching education models. Oh, yes. So kind of started focusing on, on, um, 
um, my thoughts around education and kind of getting clarity on those and understanding, put, putting names, labeling, right, which is another thing that we can take to the next level and Labeling, <laughs> like with one of those label makers from Office Depot, you just went around naming, and just, like naming things, you know. Okay. Um, yeah. Which is, I think, what our kids are doing, right? It's where they're naming their discomfort. Okay. And they're naming their discomfort transgender, right? So we've got discomfort. They've got a label. They put that label on the discomfort, and it becomes very real for them. Yeah. Right. And so, and how were you labeling like education models? Yeah. Like trying to understand why teaching felt so awful (laughs) much of the time, not all the time, but much of the time. Okay. Yeah. And I, yeah, like I just, I think we're doing doing childhood wrong is, is what I think. Okay. Yes. And so, I don't think children are designed to spend hours and hours of their day in an education institution, you know, with all that constant input. I just don't think that that's a healthy way to spend childhood. Okay. Yeah. And as a teacher, you felt discomfort. Um, and then you left. So, and then you started looking back at education. Were you naming your discomfort as an educator a couple of years later out of the system? Is that what you mean by yeah. yeah, Yeah. I mean, it, I had a, a role in that school as well. They were very focused on professional development. And mm. I was one of the um, team of educators there who was like a faculty trainer. So we... Oh, we okay. were yeah. we were assigned with like researching certain certain aspects of education and then leading what's called professional learning communities among and the so, teachers among the teachers yeah. yes yeah, okay yes yeah. and so learning a lot about assessment and um motivation and i mean it was great it was actually a lot of great information to help me make sense of this amazing experience of being a human, right? It, it yeah. really contributed to my, what I would say now is my personal philosophy. Okay. So, yeah. so um, just side note, how many other kids are there in your family? I have, she's got a brother. So I have a, a boy as well, a younger. Is she younger? She's, she's, younger. she's older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's younger. Um, and He's so, so what is a human being? Mm-hmm. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
and my philosophy. <laughs> Every philosophy probably has some sort of conception of the human being. Yeah. But I, I guess the follow-up question, like, what is a human being and how does a human being develop or grow? Like, what, what do you mean by childhood? So what is a human being? And then what is childhood, you know? And then how do you, how do you frame that? Yeah. Well, humans are part of this living system of the earth, you know? Um, like other mammals, we just have a left brain problem. <laughs> huh. um, we are social creatures, right? We are wired to be in relationship. And so we have these attachment mechanisms that are designed to keep us in relationship. Okay. And mammals hmm. learn how to be in the world through play. You know, and there's plenty of research to support this. And so when we reduce the amount of play children have, yeah. you know, we are. How children spend their childhood matters a lot. I think they learn a lot in school, but I think it's less about the content and it's more about the structure. Yeah. That's how young humans learn to be in the world. Right. They're wired to uptake the culture. And so whatever the culture of the classroom is or, you know, the culture that they're growing up in that's that's what's being absorbed into their bodies does that make sense that's what they're learning yeah okay yeah and so we need to be really mindful of the environments what environments are our children growing up in what do you mean by play what does that mean well play is um it is a non you know it's been a little while since maybe i've read an official um definition but i i like to i like the work of peter gray he's an evolutionary psychologist and he's one of the founders at let grow with lenore skenazy who i know has also okay. collaborated with john jonathan height or hate i'm not sure if okay. i'm saying his name right yeah um but it's not goal oriented right so like a football game is not play according to their definition of play okay. play is is yeah it's not structured i mean you could like design a game or something and you'd be playing as long as it's it, it's as you're in it just to it's it's about the process right if you're if you're enjoying the process you're playing if it's goal oriented it's not necessarily considered play okay. does that make sense or yeah, yeah yeah and so they need children need lots of opportunities to play school has has taken up more and more of their day, more and more of their summer, right? The the way our society values education, and I, I can't help but use the air quotes there. Um, yeah, but <laughs> even though there's more and more education, there's less and less academic rigor at the same time, right? More and more structure, less and less, uh, you know, reading competency, math competency, all these competencies seem to, across the board, be collapsing well the structure itself well, and i think this this comes back down this is attachment mechanisms is, is part of the reason for this it's, there's this concept this is that gordon newfeld has developed he didn't coin the term but he's developed the concept of counter will which is um it's it's basically the resistance to perceived control and he would say it's an instinct humans are going to resist control if they are, especially if they're not in in healthy attachment with the person who okay. is exerting the control over them yeah okay 
So this is oppositional defiance disorder. Mm. Yeah. If you want to diagnose it. <laughs> if we want to diagnose it, because we love diagnosis things. And that's just one way that it presents. That's right. But it can present in lots of other ways. It, it can present an apathy, right? Yeah. Usually what counter will produces is the opposite of, of what you're hoping to get. <laughs> you're, okay. You want something out of this person and you, you're not getting it. You're getting the opposite. And it's, it's the result of counter will. And so, you felt uh, would say it's not intentional that, you know, that person doesn't, they're not doing it just to push your buttons or be difficult. Okay. And that ties into this concept of motivation and how that fits into, I guess, education or childhood, broadly speaking. Yeah. So and um, internal and external locus of control. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so how does one assess the motivation of a student? I, I guess this is really like far out, like very bone stuff. Um, I don't know if it's really necessarily attached to anything. We're just floating in ideas and stuff, but I'm kind of like just for mm -hmm. framework, right. like what is the goal of the teacher? Is the goal of the teacher to assess the motivation of every individual child and, and establish conditions where those motivations can go in a direction where they are learning, right? Or growing or just playing in some way. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about the question and it, the goal of the teacher. Well, the teacher is part of the system, right? So the teacher is, has their own set of criteria. It's more about the the structure, but I don't think teachers recognize this. You know, that our education system was put in place at a time when the economy needed factory workers. And so they they have content that they're supposed to, you know, make sure these children are becoming um, competent in, but I would say it's so much less about the content. The teachers have to teach the content and that's what they get assessed on. Yeah. But it's more about the structure of the classroom. It's, I, I think what, what kids are learning at school is how to sit and listen to an authority figure and to, hmm. um, minimize mistakes, you know, and, and, and out of this, you know, comes sort of our value around failure and the kind of, you know, you know, we, we, we label failure as bad when really making mistakes is how we learn. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so we do know that carrots and sticks are rewards and punishments it doesn't work very well that reprograms people to have an external locus of control okay and kind of disconnects them from their intuition right and and i would say that is that is the main function of the education system is is that it, to disconnect people from their intuition to to reorient Right. Because it's to reorient and to standardize. Right. And I, and I don't want to place, I don't want to like put a judgment on this. I just think it, it is what it is. And, and it served a function. It yeah. makes people easier to, to steer, you know, a different direction and, and makes them more predictable hmm. and, and makes them ready to, to 
contribute to the economy. Right. So, hmm. but it's not necessarily great for a sense of, you know, satisfaction and meaning in your life. Who said that a sense of satisfaction and meaning is all that important for the human being? Who said that? Yeah. Who says, well, like maybe that's just a left brain, like weird fantasy thing. Sure. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. But I Does know every culture, myself, you know, different cultures have different values. So I'm just trying to attack that as an assumption. It's my assumption. Yeah. But why do we assume that meaning and satisfaction are the end all be all of our life? I, I don't assume that. I assume that my quality of life is better when I am experiencing satisfaction and meaning. Right. I, yeah. I think that we are wired for those uh, experiences and that our body rewards us right like that's satisfaction is a label right for an experience yes that feels good in the body but right? different different societies establish different structures which aim people in different ways of finding meaning yeah. you know like traditional yeah. family or, or like honor culture right or yeah. whatever our mm -hmm. culture is right now which is mm -hmm. you do you and you are the the you are totally special just like everybody else mm -hmm. right Talking systemically, talking talking the structures yeah. of that. So when yes, yeah. so I my personal belief is that we are all born wired okay. for creativity, right? For curiosity, hmm. for for meaningful contribution. Okay. Right. That's why yeah. it feels good when we're engaged in those things. Okay. You know, and I and I think as a creature on the you know as and as a species, but that's our, our feelings, our information, and that when, when things, when we're operating optimally, life mostly feels good. I mean, it's going to have its ups and downs. Everybody is going to experience pain and suffering and anger and right. Like negative mo emotions are also information, but they're information to guide us back to a sense of satisfaction and, and meaning. And, you know, I, and and being in relationship, which I think is another uh, essential aspect of being a human being, right? Is and that's why our attachment mechanisms encourage us to be in relationship. And yeah, is this making sense? Yeah. So and I'm uh, ask me clarifying questions if I'm you know if there are gaps in this because no, this is fun. This I'll, is I'll, fun. I'll go back and listen and be like, oh my gosh, I didn't explain that well. Well, or, there's not a goal here. This is just playtime with Benjamin Boyce. Yes, exactly. Right. And I came into this conversation knowing that, and that was that was okay. great. You know, to just be like, oh, I have no idea where this is going to go, no. but I'm pretty sure it's going to be fun. <laughs> so with your daughter. Mm -hmm. Like, like with just the background of like, there's motivation, there's attachment, there's relationships, there's a changing body, there's a reformulation of identity where she's detaching from you and trying to t attach to herself. She finds this tool, this toolkit, the strategy, mm -hmm. this bucket of strategies called gender. And she's from your point of view, like what? How did she start to play around with that? And, and then how did it manifest in you? And how did you react to that? Yeah. Um, so 
there were these struggles going on in school and she along the way like there were there were different periods and or different things that happened during middle school at one point she brought me a little booklet of basically sexual orientations and identities you know and 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 i had most of them i'd never heard of before that was probably my first introduction into gender ideology yeah you know and she just kind of dropped it in my lap and went away and i looked at it and i was like oh this is really interesting and I tried to engage her on it, but she wasn't super interested in talking about it, you know. But she wanted, she sent you a signal, but she didn't want to go any deeper. Than. Yeah. And huh. it and it wasn't a signal I knew how to read at the time. I had, Like I said, I'd never even, Yeah. I didn't know this was happening <laughs> in the world in the way that it was. Yeah. And so then um, it was actually... A friend of mine who was also the mother of one of her friends. So you can imagine, like, my community is very much also part of this school. Um, and so he takes a villagey, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I can look back at the culture of that school now and be like, ooh, <laughs> okay, yeah, it's no wonder we, we ended up here. Hmm. Um, very progressive, right? It was. A, I would use the word woke. You know, it's very much the culture. Before you really understood that, you, that was right. how you just assumed the world right. Right. was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, it was. That was would have been early spring of her eighth grade year, is when her friend's mother. You know, we. She just invited me out and showed me this guest list. For her daughter's birthday party okay. and and everybody on the guest list was one thing or another <laughs> you know they all it was all it was like their name and then their their chosen name you know or it might have been like chosen name orientation i don't remember the columns but but there was clearly an expectation there that you had put yourself in these boxes and which boxes were you in right okay. and so yeah. Is it like musical chairs, but with gender? Like there's like one that's missing and then everybody just kind of swaps identities until somebody's, <laughs> Maybe. somebody's ass yeah, I don't is know. <laughs> bouncing on the floor. Yeah. yeah. How did you, how did you receive that information then? And, you know, not, it, it was just kind of like, huh? You know, okay. it just didn't really sink in. It just seemed silly and it just seemed like a kid thing. You know, these guys are doing, they're just playing. And then I started researching, you know, then mm-hmm. I got online. Yeah. And, and that was terrifying. Um, that was probably the scariest part. And my kid wasn't interested in discussing it. She just, she didn't want to, you know, I can't even put myself back in that time and, and remember an attempt at a conversation about it. Even I just know she wasn't, she wasn't wanting to talk about it. Okay. But she, what she was wanting at that time was an ADHD diagnosis oh. and therapy, you know, and, and she was starting to talk about anxiety and depression. And so okay. there were these other things going on. I would, I would say when my confidence really dropped out is when she, she implied that she might be harming herself. And that's when, that that's probably the first time when I, w- when I thought, oh, I don't got this. 
you know what I mean? Up to that point, I was like, we'll figure this out. You know, you, okay. if you're struggling with executive functioning, you know, there are strategies for that. And I can help you with that. If I take you to a therapist, that's what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. Because that would be the therapist I would choose, right? Is the one that's going to work with you strategy wise. And so it wasn't until she started, it was just one time actually where she implied that she was maybe hurting herself. It, it came out kind of weird. She didn't give me any details. And yeah. um, that's when I, that's when I got scared, you know, okay. and started, you know, really researching ways forward. And, you know, we took some unusual uh, steps. We had some unusual strategies ourselves. <laughs> but like ropes courses or something? Like what was these? <laughs> um, well, I did take her out of that school uh, and she, she did, she ended up doing a wilderness program hmm. that okay. if I were yeah. to do this over again, I would not. Oh, to, to me, that, that was one of that, that was my biggest error was sending her there. Was so. to send her into the woods with like a knife. <laughs> so see in six months kind of thing. Right. I mean, and rites of passage. And that's actually what I was going for is I was hoping it, it could be a rite of passage and it just, they weren't able to customize it for my kid. And okay. it just, it fell yeah. flat. She yeah. was, I, and, and personally, even I think more alienated. Well, I think it damaged our attachment. I think it, it sent a signal to her that, yeah, my mom doesn't got this. Oh. You know, if I, if I consider my whole family though, and what was going on, it was, it was a strategy that made sense. You know, I can justify the choice regardless. It's still, it still damaged our attachment. I think it, it, it affected her confidence in me because. Why was this a wilderness program, like a three month, like boarding school mm -hmm. in, in the woods kind of It thing? wasn't a boarding school. But um, it, this one would, would be considered more of an intervention program. Oh, okay. And so a lot of kids do go on from there to boarding school. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you and, sent her uh, away, basically. Yes. Exactly. That was the gesture that she read. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I can't. Yeah. I think that's what happened. Yes. Okay. And, and, you know, the kids that, that are in this particular program are pretty, the behaviors are pretty extreme. And hers didn't match that. Oh, oh. You know, I so she think. was sent a signal, perhaps additionally, that she was really messed up. Right. Exactly. Yes. Uh, oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. To a point that her, her, her mother couldn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? That we didn't have it. <laughs> we, we couldn't handle it. So what, we did. What if, what if you just required that she work at Taco Bell 20 hours a week for the summer or something like that? Mm -hmm. would, would that have uh, been she like was still a... pretty young at the time. Oh, she's still that... pretty young. At that point, yeah, she was 14. Yeah. I just, 13, I, I just. 13 turning 14. I'm just wondering. Which, by the way, my 14-year-old son got a job. Right? <laughs> so he's been working since 14. <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering yeah. to what extent a certain contingent of the ROGD uh, cohort just is lacking meaningful work. Lacking, lacking some sort of feedback yes. loop between their motivation and their effort and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, money or a product or some sort of valuable, like, feedback from the outside world. Yeah, for sure. And she has been working for the last couple of years. And 
And and like I said, my son does too. He's been working since 14. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of jobs. <laughs> at least at least until you figure out, you know, what what is going to bring you more satisfaction and meaning. <laughs> yeah. 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 So how did how did how did her gender identity coalesce from your point of view and become more and more concrete or an issue or something that you actually saw? Yeah. Um, so she wouldn't discuss it at that program with her therapist. We encouraged that. And but it was it, there? There was some sort of identity thingy? With her or at the program? With her. Yeah. So that this happened after that friend shared the guest list, the party guest list. And what was your daughter... How did she identify? Was she like a unicorn or trans mask, lightly femme demi boy or something like that? I don't think it was that intricate or detailed. I think she yeah. just um, trans male. mask, yeah, uh, yes, okay. as a boy, yes. Okay. And 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 it's it's taken different shapes over, you know. It keeps the changing. It's play. It's playful. Well, it's playful. I mean, she she now says she's a boy. So, um, not a man. I think her, well, I don't know that she uses man that often. She might say she's a trans man. I'm not exactly sure. We don't have a whole lot of conversations about it because they still, they, they, they don't feel good for her, you know, cause I'm honest, <laughs> I'm honest with her. Um, hmm. and so, yeah. So let's see. I mean, we weren't talking about it at all for another year. So it wasn't until she was almost 15 that we actually were having some conversations about it. And the, the interesting part of that is I kind of had to drag it out of her. And she, she said she was never going to tell me. So. <laughs> okay. so it makes me wonder too, like sometimes I think, if I hadn't dragged it out of her and she had to just kind of grapple with it, if she might've let it go by now, you know, I kind of think that's a strong possibility. Hmm. What was but your motivation I in wanting to... Something to push back on? Yeah. yeah. My motivation at that point was to get her out of the binder. So she had start started messing around with her body. Then. Yeah. 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 I, I was not successful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How did how did you come across that article of clothing? I didn't come across it. I just she at this point I knew she was far enough along in development that she I should see some, you know, some chest there and there wasn't. Hmm. So, and I had to get real. I mean, she, she did say a year earlier that it wasn't a thing when, when she came out of that program and I brought it up, you know, just to kind of see where she was. She's like, it's over. Let's just drop it. And, and I happily dropped it because I wanted it dropped. Right? So, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. Then a year later, I'm like, oh boy. Yeah. She's, She's still binding. I was picking her up some with, she'd been hanging out with some friends and I went to pick her up and they said later, bro, one of them did. And, and so she got in the car and I decided this was the time to figure out what was happening. 
And we actually, we spent a few days having some really great conversations. Um, I think I handled it really well those first few days. But at night, I would go online. <laughs> I would research and and get really scared. And then I started operating out of fear. And I think fear-driven parenting decisions, you mm -hmm. know, may not, at least for me, didn't go so well, you know. Well, you're introducing more stress in the system and more opportunity mm -hmm. for resistance, right? Exactly. Yes. Yes. And it was it was also when I was recognizing just how um, captured she was, you know, just how deep in she was to the belief system that I didn't know what happened. You know? hmm. I didn't realize that she had adopted it so fully. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I, I thought I could use logic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was thinking like, well, how do you start to disentangle that? I guess you have to start to learn it from her point of view because the ideology is just this soup that mm -hmm. she, she gets to play in, right, and, and arrange it however she wants to arrange it. So, like, the contours of that are not stable. There's no, like, doctrine, central text, and it's just always going to be fluid and changing anyways because it's based on totally subjective inputs and expectations and and we're talking about a teenage girl too who's going through this battery of hormone cocktails already you know and and emotional development and mental development and all that stuff going on and it's fun you know i know how fun it well, is well everything's fun in games until your your back gets contorted and you can't breathe anymore because you're compressing right. your chest like some sort of chinese woman and in, in in you know in, in the golden city or whatever, you know, like this weird kind of ritual, mm -hmm. ritual scarification, ritual mutilation, mm -hmm. which is, which is again, like a part of meaningful. a rite of passage. Yeah. It's yes, very meaningful. It's meaningful. Yeah. This, this provides a lot of meaning in their lives. Yes. Yeah. It's another thing the strategy offers. Yeah. So how did you start to, I guess you said you, you're, you're acting out of fear and you're looking on the internet for research. So what <laughs> Reddit, Tumblr, uh, you know, medical things like glad <laughs> my, okay. My channel. So, so you start to find, you start mm. to look for skeptics of the gender ideology yeah. or like more information that can be useful for you to figure out what the heck all these symbols are. Well, yes. And yes, exactly. I'm looking for skeptics. That's what I'm doing. People who can, see what I'm seeing, 
you know, which is that this isn't a legitimate uh, condition, right? That my child has, I know she's not a boy. Are there other people that recognize, you know, that are, that are seeing the same phenomenon happening? And there were plenty, you know, more than a year before when I had been researching, which wasn't super comforting, you know, okay. <laughs> just grown, you know, that there were more kids now who were identifying and yeah, yeah that was. Is she aware that she's very feminine for being a boy? Cause it just sounds like she's acting like a girl, but maybe I'm, I'm talking to her mother. So just on the face of it, there's so much cognitive distortion, unless you don't understand the difference between men and women. And you're just completely confused about that to begin with. Yeah. She, you know, she doesn't even really present very masculine. There was a while there where it seemed like she was really trying to look like a boy. Now I don't notice that as much. Yet she's pretty convinced that all her coworkers believe she's a boy. So, not a man, which, but a boy. Yeah, yeah. Again, not wanting to grow up, right? Yeah. So, yeah. No, I like I, Peter Pan. I get to be Peter yeah. Pan. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think that's a very relevant. And the boys story. get to be Tinkerbell. Symbolism there. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh huh. But she's great. I mean, she's cool. I like her a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 She's a cool kid. So, okay. So to what degree do you start to say, okay, this is, this is a problem. This is potentially very dangerous for her body, her fertility, her life choices. And this is also confusing, but you, you still love her. Like, how do you figure out to, where to put all this anxiety and, and the danger that you sense in this thing? And like and your love like how do they fit in yeah. well yeah there's a desperation to make it stop you know there's this really is traumatizing why is it traumatizing for a mother to see this happen to her daughter daughter specifically mm -hmm. well it's that medical pathway you know and we can imagine what pain is down the road, you know, especially, I mean, not just the health pain, but also just, you know, how, how, how you are in the world and how people perceive you. But I think it's more than that too. Again, we're talking about this, this cohort of moms who are very, very intentional in the way they raise their kids. At least again, I'm going to say these are the moms that seem to find their way to me. That's yeah, okay. a, a common uh, experience it would seem is and there t tends to be often like almost a I, I call them high stakes kids right there's some there's like an extra level of intention or or um commitment like there were either problems in conception a lot of them are older moms or there were other health problems with the child when they were little right so they required extra care mm. which is it's going to, I think, add to that level of enmeshment, right? Um, and so there's that level of it where, okay, I worked so hard on this kid. It's like the, the kid's your project, 
right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so the outcome really matters. You know, it's like, I wasn't predicting this. And how could this possibly be the outcome when I worked so hard to be this caring, loving, relationship-oriented parent, right? So you've got that. And then layered on top of that, you have... I mean, it's incredibly destabilizing to then go seek support and have the institutions with the experts that are supposed to help you telling you you're the one who needs to change, right? So it's so destabilizing. I mean, this just rips your world apart because not only does it feel like you're losing your kid, but you've lost your community. You've lost your le- your, your leadership, your right? Yeah. You're exactly, and it rips your compass out from under you. That's a very, very painful place to be. What is the similarity for the mother for the mothers that you find or that find you? I assume that most of them are skeptic. Uh, gender skeptics. So w- what's something that you see that they share, these mothers share and not going along with the gender program? Like, mm-hmm. like, is it like, is there, is there kind of a pattern that you see in the, in the, uh, Somewhat, you know, it's not completely consistent there. There's, it varies. Some moms, most of them, most of them, not all of them, but most of them, came from the left, right? They were very liberal-minded moms. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were kind of crunchy moms. I was more of a crunchy mom, right? As far mm-hmm. as... Not a munchy, but a crunchy. Right? <laughs> very health-oriented, yes. right? You, okay. you know, we're... Which, again, like, that's a value set that we think our child... We, we've tried to share with our children, and they're re, it feels like they're rejecting it. So there's that too. It, oh, it all that talk personal. about like organic and GMO and like <laughs> now now the kids right. are running into synthet- <laughs> synthetic hormones and uh, yes, yes, body mods, huh? Right, exactly. So we value a healthy body is also definitely a pretty consistent factor. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And hmm. so again, you can kind of see the individuation strategy, you know, my, my mom's into this. I can't be into that. And, and, and we get scoffed at a lot now, you know? And so. What do you mean? How? The crunchy moms, you know, they're, <laughs> they're not. They're not hip anymore. They're, 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 they're skeptical of this more, um, I want to use the word invasive, right? This medical apparatus that we have these days that that pathologizes everything, you know. Yeah. So that is definitely a common a commonality, you know. And I would have to say too, and not across the board. I think it's more destabilizing for those people who are who are inclined and really need to trust. Um. The, 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 the right the institutions that you think are there to take care of you yeah, you know i wow, okay. i consider it a bit of an advantage that i was already in the system you know, but not of suspicious. the system yeah right <laughs> right right this and, is a big and crisis. i feel like i have a high tolerance to uh, you know to to function outside of most of them you know i just i don't engage in these systems the way a lot of the moms or a lot of families do. And I think it's more destabilizing when that's the case. So, yeah. The, um, this is, this kind of straying from the point, but it's just something that I'm fascinated with, uh, 
liberalism, the secular society, it seems like a lot of people, like most, most people are not cutting edge thinkers. Most people just kind of exist in the world that they're given and do the best with what they're given. And the liberal assumptions kind of put us in a place where we don't really need church. We don't need a, a belief system because we've figured it all out. We have experts, we have systems, we have governments, we have schools, we have this, you know, so the liberal project or the liberal, liberal person believes in progressive values. It believes that Obama has everybody's best interest in part, uh, at heart, um, believes, yeah, like, like the Wall Street's out of control and yeah, we do do too many wars, but by and large, we are the shining light and we are leading the world morally. And so I'm just a part of the system and stuff. And so when the system betrays that, when, when, when articles of faith kind of creep up, like, oh yeah, well you are, you have a gendered soul. Like there's a spiritual element that the children aren't given anymore. And that we as Gen Xers, if I may say so, kind of took mm -hmm. for granted, like, well, you know, Christian, Christians are kind of sticks in the mud. We're, we're going to adopt all of their values, but we're going to let go of all the mythology, not knowing that our kids need or thirst for, you know, something more than just Marvel cartoons, something more than Disney. Like they need something that they can live and breathe and believe and, and used to, to imprint their will on the world and be in, enmeshed in something greater, some greater cause. And so when the system is the one that's feeding that, you're like, wait, I thought we were in a secular society. I thought you guys weren't going to, I thought you guys were just going to, you experts were just going to take care of the details and not, not have a belief system. And then all of a sudden this belief system just explodes into our consciousness, rainbow flags, progress flags, like child transition is the thing that we need to do. Like, like all this stuff, like all the racial stuff on top of that, like the, the liberal, the well-meaning Gen X liberals, like, wait, hold on, wait, I wait, hold on, hold on. And then like free falls or is given what option like to really start to deeply skeptically review and question all of their assumptions or just go along with the path, go along with the pack, keep your head down. You have questions, but I don't want to, I don't want to mess with my income. I don't want to, I don't want to stand out. You know, I just want to keep on living my life as I was promised I could live it. Just to paint a picture of people whose daughter suddenly comes home and says that she's a man. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, as if we're making sense of the human experience, you know, you have to consider that. And I've heard it recently called the God-shaped hole, right? Or yeah. um, the religious function, which seems to be very embedded in us, you know. And, and I've heard you say, you, there was an interview with Lisa Marciano, and I have recommended, it was a great interview all the way through, but I often have clients listen to the last 10 minutes of it <laughs> where you talk about i think you say um scientists you know very serious scientists usually come to the conclusion that rationality is not enough right that and then um lisa shares a couple of quotes you know one of them being david foster wallace's quote about humans worship you know, it's yeah. what we do. We worship. And so being really conscious about what you worship is important. Otherwise, what you worship will eat you alive. Yeah. <laughs> right. Gender, I think, is eating lots of people alive. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then she also quotes Jung as saying something about, you know, when asked if humans are going to survive the nuclear age, he's not very optimistic. And that's he believes if we're going to make it, 
more of us need to do that shadow work, that inner work. And so this is, yeah. This okay. is where I went with it, right? Like okay. this is this is the work I decided to do and this is what I invite my clients to do is is that stoic idea of the obstacle is the way. Yeah. Yeah, know, okay. Use this this and and it's often something this difficult that inspires that work anyway. Like you asked me what inspired me, well it just got too hard. It was too painful to keep going the way I was going. I had to find a way to feel better. And, and it, it, it kind of became a um, the way I, I gave the finger to the movement, right? It's like, no, you don't, you don't get my family and you don't get my quality of life. I will not sacrifice that to you. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to improve the quality of my, my life, right? Yeah. And life is what filled my God-shaped hole, right? I'd like to capitalize L now <laughs> in life because that's what I live in service to. That's what provides meaning in my world. So my values are very clear. You know, my daughter knows my values, but I don't impose them on her. That's you what I have them. to stop doing. You model yes. them. Yeah. Yes. You don't have to answer this question, but I'm I'm really interested in relationships right now, specifically marriage. Because um, <laughs> I'm thinking about it um, mm -hmm. seriously right now. Um, mm -hmm. How did how did this? Congratulations! Um, is, is that what you're saying? Are you? <laughs> I'm looking at the camera for anybody who's just listening to the podcast. Um, <laughs> pregnant look into the camera. Um, how did, how did, how does, how does one like, how did this risk and stress in your relationship with your husband, what did it force you to reassess about your marriage? And how did you go from a state of, of being on shaky ground to being on solid ground? Like, what was that passage? Mm, I love like this question, actually. Thank you for asking it. <laughs> um, it was a process. It took quite a while. But I, I set out to learn about relationships. You know, my, my daughter ended up taking a psych test um, in which she, there was lots, you know, a battery of tests. But part of the testing, she was filling in some, some sentence starters, right? And one of them was, I wish my mom would. And she completed it with, listen. And I... Was that was shocking? Like, what? It was shocking. Yes, it was shocking. And I, I was like, how, how does she come to that? I'm a fantastic listener. Right? Like I'm a, I'm a really great communicator. But the, the thing was, is her story was, I didn't listen. And so I set out to learn about listening. What does that really mean? What does that look like? How do I become a better listener? You know, and it, and it, I really got invested in attachment, understanding attachment and learning how to be in healthy relationship. When this was kind of at its peak, you know, right after she and I did start having conversations and I was in that fear, I said to my husband, this can be the thing, like the last straw that tears us apart, or it can be the thing that brings us together, you know, but I'm the one who set out to, to learn how to be in a healthy relationship. I think most of us don't have a great model. You know, I, pe pe people haven't been, 
I feel like we have strayed far from our, our attachment mechanisms that keep us in relationship, right? I feel like our culture has kind of taken us very far from there from them. And we, most of us experience this sense of separation, you know, and I'm very invested in our common humanity. But when it comes to sort of my own relationship with my husband, it was just, I became determined to use the same strategies I was using with my daughter. I'm going to practice listening. I'm going to practice caring for him. My mom at one point said, you know, we love the ones we serve. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. And I started, I looked for models of healthy relationships. I was lucky enough to have a, a best friend who has been married for like 30 years and they just have such a beautiful relationship. I started paying attention to it and going, oh, look at those nice things they do for each other, you know, yeah. and, and started doing things out of love. So this is, this is one of my little, you know, I, I kind of I like having a set of guiding principles. And one of them is never do anything with resentment. Now, do I accomplish that all the time? No, but that's sort of my goal is okay. if yeah. I'm feeling resentment, I, I check myself. Can I, can I do this with love? <laughs> and if I can't, then there is some boundary I need to address. Right. So I just, I use that resentment as information. Uh, could you extrapolate on that? Like how, what is, what is the information that resentment is sending you generally or sending one generally? You said something about boundaries. You said something about attachment or like a, a misalignment of expectations. What, what does that mean? What, what's, um, yes, uh, to me, that's when I'm, when I'm feeling resentment, if I'm doing something for somebody, right. And yeah. I'm experiencing resentment, I want to assess that, right? What's, what, what is making me feel resentful? You know, is it because I feel like this isn't mm -hmm. going to be reciprocated, you know, or am I feeling taken advantage of, right? I want to understand what's underneath it, you know, and can I shift it and do this, make, make this an act of love that makes me feel good. I want to put love in what I'm doing. I want to practice love, you know? And so if I can't go there, then I, I need to not do it and have a conversation. Maybe does that make sense? Like I can't do this for you because I feel this way. Yeah. You know, I'm, I just want to, I want to be honest with yes. whoever okay. I'm in relationship with and not just hang on to that resentment. Cause I know that resentment is bad for my health. Right. <laughs> and, and it's bad for the relationship and humans we we heal in relationship we are resourced in relationship right we are we are healthy in relationship they know that this is the number one factor for for quality of life and longevity is healthy relationships but i think most of us don't know how to do it yeah so i just and, and it is a it's it's practice that's what life is it's a we are going through our days practicing things and what you practice grows stronger. If you're practicing resentment, guess what? You're going to get more and more resentful. Yeah. Right. And if you're practicing love, what's amazing is it feels good. And the more you practice, the better it feels, the more you want to do it. Yeah. You know, the more na natural. So I would say love, love is a practice. 
Love is a practice. We're, we're, we're coming up with coffee <laughs> mugs now. Um, I know it sounds trite. Sure. But you know what? It feels good. <laughs> yeah. What is love? What do you mean by that? What, what is this word you're using? Um, and I would say it's an, it's also an attachment mechanism, you okay. know? So I encourage clients to really pay attention to their physiology and figure uh, out for themselves what love feels like. What does love feel like in your body? Yeah. And what creates that sensation? And so how do, and then how do you add more of that into your life? Okay. Okay. And usually when we're experiencing love, it's probably like oxytocin, you know, some of those, our body rewards us when we yeah. are in healthy relationship with feelings of love. Right. And so again, you, you can use, there's so much wisdom in the body. Pay attention to to your feelings, and they're going to guide you, <laughs> right? Which is very different than like sitting in a classroom and suppressing them, which is yeah. usually what you have to do when you're in a learning environment for extended periods of time, right? You have to. You can't listen to those signals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, how, how does one? Um, I guess. You haven't been successful at this, but maybe you've seen success in this area. How does one um, convince a daughter or a son to love their body, to to listen, to love, to learn to love? You have to wait. It's there. It's up for them. It's up to them. Right. I can model it, okay. you know, but yeah. I can't. Hmm. It's can't her experience. Love. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. You okay. can't impose yeah. love. I mean, that's. That's my experience. That's my philosophy. I don't, you know, I don't want to yeah. judge the way anybody else is going about this, hmm. you know? Um, yeah. yeah. So there's, there's an aspect of detachment in your attachment to your daughter that is absolutely necessary in order to maintain the attachment. Yeah. You and got it. that's a, that's a learning curve, not only for the daughter, but for the mother. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And it's painful. Is it right? Because yes, because there's like contractions involved and there's weird placenta shooting out of you and just like, kinda, you know, it's, it's, it's a grief process. You, these moms have to go through a grieving process. They just okay. letting go, you know, of, of the attachment is, is not easy. It's a very painful thing, okay. you know, and it's confusing. And what helps me now is to kind of think and, in terms of parts, you know, like hmm. I, we had a recent experience, my daughter and I, where my mama bear really did come back up to the surface <laughs> and I was kind of glad, like I needed that. I, I was feeling maybe a little too detached, I think. Yeah. Um, and so it was good to see mama bear again. But I think if, again, the, 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 the strategy of labeling, <laughs> if you can identify your mama bear, then you can, um, you can recognize when she takes the wheel. Does that make sense? I've mm -hmm. had a client sort of bring that analogy to me and I love it. This, that we all sort of have this bus and we've got different characters that take the wheel. <laughs> and so I think, you know, what I strive to do is to just not be in mama bear mode all the time. You know, she, she serves a function. I'm very grateful for her, but I can't let her drive the bus all the time or yeah. I would be miserable. Yeah. So yeah. because because Mama Bear is very attached to her kids' outcomes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. 
Did I answer the question? I forgot what it was. Do you, have you seen Cocaine Bear yet? I kind of want to see it now. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it either. Okay. It does look funny. <laughs> cocaine Mama Bear. Yeah. Okay. So grief, um, that's another thing that I'm dealing with in my personal life now. So I just like to hear like, what is the process of grief? I, and I know that like there's seven stages that it's kind of like, blah, 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 blah. I know there's all these different ways that we can conceptualize it, but like it serves a function and, and there's just sadness. Like when you lose somebody, there's just sadness and you can't think your way out of it. I've been wrestling well not wrestling with it but i just re realized that like i just feel sad about something and i can think about it um that doesn't really help because i'm just spending narratives to distance mm -hmm. myself from the sadness so i kind of just have to sit with that and then let it pass and then the next day like i, I kind of it's like almost like shoveling snow it's like okay we're just shoveling emotional snow right now and there'll be more snow later but at least the sidewalk's going to be clear when i wake up in the morning i can get to my car you know like i'm, I'm making a pathway out of it like I, i'm just throwing things out there so i'm i'm wondering it's such a it's such a difficult thing because at one time in, in one way you're saying you're trying to in your position you're trying to save a relationship you're trying to save a daughter you're trying to help your daughter attach to herself naturally and honestly and not use these tools that she's been given to to be disattached but at the same time the gender thing is like oh my daughter's a man now so it's 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 almost like like you were saying about like the obstacle it's like okay this is this is an opportunity for me to grieve about something else and if i can not respond to the threat but respond to actually what i'm actually going through and be honest with myself i'm letting my daughter become an adult and this whole man thing is just the way that she wants to do it um so without like accepting the gender ideology buying into it, you still have to accept that this is to some degree valid for her. Yes. Yeah. You said so much in that. that, that Sorry. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. I want to, I want to tackle a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> so remind me to come back to this. No, um, you asked about grief Yeah. and th there's this attachment concept and I don't know if this is legit or not, but it makes a lot of sense to me. So Newfeld has this idea of futility and bumping up, up against futility. And this is how humans adapt, right? We, we bump up against futility over and over again. And each time is an opportunity to practice adaptation, right? So, or not practice. Wait, futility in, like is in failure? Develop, or like... Yes. Well, okay. yes. So like I would say people with transition regret. They were bumping up against futility. I will never be a man. I will never be a woman. I can do all these things. I'm never actually going to be a woman. And they yeah. hit that futility wall. And then they have to accept they can't change that. This is that idea, you know, accept the things you cannot change. But this is, this is how human adaptation works, or at least that's my understanding. Mm. But in that that futility as you're bumping bumping up against that i think that's when we go through the grief process and so newfeld will say in order to adapt we have to drop into our tears of sadness this is the function of sadness is acceptance huh. ah i can't change this i have to process through this disappointment and sadness yeah. and then once you do yeah. now you experience radical acceptance and you can move forward with, you know, creativity and new energy and, you know, it, it frees, it's, a, it's freeing you 
from the attachment to this thing you cannot have. Right. That's what right. radical acceptance is. Acceptance is. And that's my understanding. Yeah. Hmm. So. And so, you know. What a mind fuck. New, it is. Exactly. Pardon my oh my French. gosh. I have a, I have a piece called that. <laughs> oh, like, is because, it a coffee mug? Well, no, <laughs> sorry. A, 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 an article that I wrote uh, that I titled that. Yes. That it was about a conversation with my daughter. So. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I have this interesting idea about expectations and counter will and right. Like it kind of comes back to all that, that, you know, I, I think I get pushback when I talk about expectations, but I think again, that's, I, I know I'm kind of all over the place. I'm going to pull that's it back fine, together fine. for that's you. Okay. But um, I think one other aspect of this strategy is they're avoiding expectations. Okay. Expectations trigger counter will, right? Well, how do you raise a child without expectations? You have to have expectations. But I think there's what I would encourage is to instead of voicing your expectations, hold the vision of 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 who you want your child to be mm. and just treat them like this is who they are. Yeah. Right. There's this mm. there's this Taoist uh saying, I believe it's from the Tao. If you don't trust the people, you make them untrustworthy. So my MO with my daughter is to trust and to convey my confidence in her very human capacity to figure things out. Yeah. And that's how I function. You, you got this, you know, um, I trust you to make the healthiest decisions you can for yourself and your future. You know, you're, you're going to do the best you can because isn't that what we're all doing? We're all just doing the best we can. And we, and, and don't humans figure things out. That's what we do. We figure things out. So to me, it's not the end of the world either. Right? Like I don't want her to get that story that should she choose to, you know, touch the flame and go yeah. down that pathway a little bit that she can't change her mind. You know, I want her to yeah. know she can always change her mind. And that life isn't over, <laughs> you know, it's just a hard, hard thing. And most of us have hard, hard things in our lives. Hmm. How are you going to use this hard, hard thing to, to get where you want to go hmm. anyway? So I know that was a lot too. I, I did want to come grief, back to snow. Yeah. Grief and snow. Futility. So yeah. I got to kind of watch this in real time with my kid, right? She, she wanted, she goes to visit her I will, I'll call it her trans community, right? her, her friends. We moved. That was one of our strategies is we did move away from, from where we lived before, where I taught and yeah. where she, you know, had this community and she visits them often and she wanted to go a few months ago and the weather was not great. And there was a good chance she wasn't going to be able to drive. And she knew this the night before. Right. And then the next morning, um, it was pretty bad. And I knew before she even came down, she, she would have checked the roads, the road conditions and known it was bad. And she was, oh, she was grumpy. <laughs> she was so mad. And it was so interesting too, to, to, to just watch her process because what she was mad at kept changing. Eventually it was us. She was mad at us. This was our fault because, you know, she lives in this place that is far from her people. And, you know, there's, weather here and 
you know, so somehow it became our fault that she couldn't go, you know, and through it, I'm, I'm saying things like, you know, as your mom, I would hope that you would not go because I love you and want you alive. Right? This seems very risky to me. So I would hope that you would choose not to go, you know, but I'm not telling her she can't go. She's 18. Um, and you know, part of my MO too, is to just not be the bad guy. I don't want, even though she's still trying to paint me in that place okay. as the bad yeah. guy, yeah. right? I'm not imposing things on you. I can give you information like that sort of parent as consultant idea. I really like, I will give you information. I'll help you think through uh, s- different scenarios, but I'm not going to tell you what, what to do. You know, you need to make that choice for yourself anyway. So she's going through this emotional, you know, she's just angry, mostly angry, mostly blaming you know, and then she starts to, I'm starting to see a little sadness, you know, she's, she starts to get sad. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, she's adapting, right? She's starting to drop into those tears of sadness. Okay. And at about this point, I said, you know, let's go for a drive, you know, we'll get you some food. We'll check out the roads. And she was, she was on board for that. And we took off in her vehicle and she basically went straight to the freeway and she got on and like the slow lane was passable. And she's like, oh, this isn't too bad. I might, I, I think I could still go. And I said, well, let's go a little further. We're very close to a mountain pass. Let's go up a little further, see what's, what it's like in the mountains. And as soon as we like started to enter the mountains, the roads were bad. And she said, oh, no, I can't do this. Yeah. This isn't safe. And then she was fine. We got off on the next exit, turned around. She was like in a great mood the rest of the day, right? And she, she was going through that grief process. She was bumping up against futility. She had to drop into her sadness. She had to radically accept what she could not change. And then she could let it go Yeah. and have a good day. She ended up even like choosing to hang out with me much <laughs> of the rest of that day. <laughs> we had some great connection time, yeah. but it was fascinating to kind of, again, be that observer, instead of you getting caught up in her pain with her, you know what I mean? I could observe this process that I'd been learning about and going, oh, this is what it looks like. You know, it's usually longer, right? It's usually more serious things, but it was just sort of a little mini example of the process of grief and futility and adaptation. And it was kind of beautiful, you Hmm. know? And I think as if as moms, we can kind of see like in the mechanisms that work in our children's pain, then we can allow the pain. I think it's can be really hard, especially for enmeshed moms to see their children in pain, but pain's part of life. Yeah. <laughs> pain <laughs> is just the weakness capacity. leaving your body. Yeah. <laughs> to take well, the, and developing, and it's, an, it's uh-huh. also information. It's information. Yeah. What is this pain communicating to you? You know, this is how our bodies communicate with us. What does it need from you? What is it asking of you? What is your, uh, your client base? Is it, I'm assuming it's mostly moms. It is mostly moms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so I, I, I have my Substack. It's stoicmom.substack.com. And, um, I say my audience is non-affirming growth oriented parents of trans identified kids. Mm-hmm. 
And that's who I create content for. And that's typically who's in my coaching practice, but I'm starting to attract other parents who are just trying to navigate parenting in this weird time and place we inhabit. (laughs) The challenges of that, you know, because I really do think, you know, attachment plays so much into this that our kids are, again, wired to uptake the culture. They have to figure out who they are in this world. And this is part of this world, you know, and they're trying things on. And if you can find a, you know, find a way to not give this so much power because, you know, what you focus on expands. Yeah. That's another one of those coachy ideas. But if you are, if you are giving this so much energy, you know, your kid's going to stay attached to it too. They this is kind of how I see it. Model hmm. letting go. <laughs> Model letting go of something that's not serving you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, yeah. You remember that movie with Jennifer Conley and David Bowie um, from the Jim Henson production? It's called Labyrinth. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't love it. But okay. it's been a long time since I've seen it. Well, the very last part, I just, I'm, I'm recasting the movie as a, as a, um, an analogy or a fable about a girl wrestling with a trans identity and David Bowie's the trans mm. identity. It's pretty, it kind of actually, oh, lines, it's very transient, okay. but at the very end, you yeah. know, like David Bowie's like taking this baby and, and Jennifer Conlon's trying to like save this baby. Um, uh-huh. you know, like her, her soul or her innocence, yeah. you know, Oh, I have to rewatch it. Yeah. I wasn't very good at metaphor before. But I'll watch and I'm at the end, at the end, he's promising the, her the world and the universe mm. and, and, and then she doesn't, she doesn't accept. And then he gets really mad and says, well, I'm going to destroy you. And she says something along the lines of like, you have no power over me. You have no, yeah. she dispels that through an act of, you know, acceptance. Gives me but, um, chills. I yeah. have to, now I want to watch it again. Yeah. Maybe I, I haven't watched it in forever. Maybe it is pretty cheesy, mm-hmm. but, um, but, but, um, I, I had a question about, um, we've been focusing on your experience and from like, you know, epistemic positional theory like it makes sense that we're talking about motherhood and and daughterhood and there's this dyad and this enmeshment that that mothers have with their babies um there's the dyad and then there's the dad and the dad is kind of like over here so dads have a different relationship to attachment than mothers generally speaking and so i'm wondering from your experience the dads who do connect with you or the stories that the moms tell you about the dads like what is how does the dad, well, what does the dad struggle with, generally speaking? Maybe we can just concentrate on the daughter or like like any advice or, or uh, like kind of developmental arcs that you've seen specifically tailored to fathers, fatherhood and parenting from the dad point of view, which is, it's just, it's different. It's fundamentally different. I'm sorry to say like sex actually does. Oh, I agree with you. Exist. Yes, yeah. I'm and, fully on board with so. that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They have different attachment mechanisms. They, they do, they have to, right. That's how we function. Um, and yes, it would seem it, it, usually it's the moms again, not always. I have seen it where it's the dad that takes more of this more enmeshed uh, invested role, but dad tends to be less invested in the research, right? They're not getting their PhDs in gender ideology. They're not interested, yeah. you know, um, they're of course interested in their ch- child, but it can often be, I think they don't give it as much power is, is kind of what I've seen. And moms can feel resentment about that. Why okay. am I holding all of this? And you're not helping me, Yeah, you know, where for the dad, it's like, I've got other things I'm thinking about. And, you know, I've, 
that's my focus is elsewhere. And I think there's also though an element of it's too painful and they don't process their emotions like the moms do either. Right. It's so painful for them, for some of them that they just don't go there. They don't want to talk about it. They they just want to pretend it's not happening. So I think there's also sometimes some denial, not always. I think sometimes dad is just like, you know what? They kind of get that part of she's becoming an adult or he's becoming an adult. And we just need to let them work through what they need to work through to get there. So I think it's, it can be a combination of that or more one or the other, but that, that tends to be what I see. Yeah. Uh, This, again, this is a kind of a personal question. So answer it in the way that you feel safe about your family. But, um, like how does, how does a girl, how does a girl like become a boy and live with a dad who is a man. And like, like, is that not kind of like strange? Like, Oh, I'm a man too. Like just compete with the dad. Like, or is this just like this kind of like disconnection between herself, like, and her father, like, or, or is, is it a path perhaps of distinguishing her from self from you and becoming closer to her dad in a way, in a, in a weird kind of inefficient way? I don't know that it goes to that level yeah. as far as, I don't know like how much she thinks about that because our home was not an affirming home. She's not, I don't think she, she, she lets the performance go when she's at home. If that makes sense. It's not like she's a girl, but she's not like posturing. And sometimes she uses the voice, right? You can tell. Oh, really? She's yeah. talking like a gangster or something rapping like Eminem. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just don't know that she's that that she's taken it to that level in her awareness of it. You know, I I have tried to kind of poke at that a little bit and lift that up and let her see, but she's, she just doesn't take the bait. (laughs) It's just kind of a social construct. It's just so interesting because like men and women are so different and yeah. In so many different ways that to try to like emulate the other without knowing that you're putting on a performance, like either have to just kind of let it go and not stare at that and just kind of like, Cause it just doesn't actually add up and you can only accept so much like gray space in your life before it starts to either cause you problems or stress or just be too, uh, too expensive to keep up that all that extra com- computational processing all the time on this stuff. So absolutely. Which is why we don't talk much about it because okay. I think those, yeah. the conversation she has with me brings all of that up for her okay. you know, because, yeah. because of that, you know, it's, huh. it, it, yeah. it, pulls up that cognitive dissonance that she can't process through and doesn't want to. She's, she's pretty angry with me right now. She's been pretty, um, we're going through a, a, a cold phase. Yeah. How do you, how do <laughs> but you, I think it's hard. To, oh, go ahead. It's hard for her to maintain it. I'm, I'm not very good at holding a grudge, you know, and I think she's hmm. not either. She's got to really work at it, but I think she's, she's planning to move too. And like in the next few weeks, she's probably moving. Oh, okay. And, and so I think anger she's preparing and for that. sadness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. She's individuating. She's got to push me away. Hmm. And I'm, hmm. I'm a little, you know, what I bring to those conversations, I think is too threatening, you know, for her to, again, like I, I don't want to be the bad guy. And I think that's hard. I make it really hard for her to have that story. And so she's working hard to keep that story right now. She needs me to be the bad guy right now. 
And so she's putting in the effort. <laughs> and all you have to do is just be relaxed and present. Yes. And, and supportive, you know, I'm not supportive of the identity, but I'm supportive of her. And I, mm. and I just, it's really important to me to portray to her. She's, she can do this. She's got this. She's going to get a job. She's got roommates. She's going to, she's going to be adulting here soon. And I believe mm. in her. Mm. And I just want that to be really difficult for her to twist that story into something else, you know, mm. so. <laughs> Yeah, but stories are powerful. So <laughs> do, you, do you do these high-powered um, retreats now, or are you doing just individual work and then writing for a general audience? So I do the writing. I've had people request retreats, and maybe maybe next year. Retreats are a lot of work. <laughs> maybe I can figure out how to do them where they're not. And are you work working solo, or are you connected with these organizations that have popped over, up? popped up over the past couple of years? Well, I'm a member of Geta. Um, yes. Right now I'm a, I'm a one person show. So I, I do the Substack. I do a podcast, but it's not regular, right? It's more of just when I can find the right guests that I do the podcast. Hmm. I, I really promise a different experience for people coming, coming to the Stoic Mom Project. I don't want to feed into the divisiveness, right? So I, people who who come to the Star Mom Project are looking for healing and, you know, more inspirational messages, um, <clears throat> strategies for, for navigating in a healthy way, right? So, yeah. and I do also offer, I have a, a mighty network for moms. And so there is a community. It's Mighty Networks is an online um, community platform. Forum, okay. Yes. And so... I also have that's a that's a paid private vetted community for moms. Oh, okay. So you have to fill out an application to become a member of that. And we do meet uh, via Zoom monthly, and there are lots of resources in there. And it's just it's a great group of moms. They're amazing, and they really support each other with this. So, yes. you've gone through so much growth. Um, I like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> I feel better. <laughs> How's your relationship to being a businesswoman now, as opposed to oh, it's when so you're different. It's so I, interesting. It's like, what, how, what what changed in your attitude or your position towards the work? Um, it's kind of, I I love that that parable of the farmer. I always forget what it's called. It might be called maybe maybe not. The farmer who. Um, it's an, I forget which country it's from too, but basically he sends his, his son brings home a wild stallion. I think that's what happens. And the neighbors are like, oh, you're so lucky. You're so lucky. You've, you've got this free horse, right? You're so lucky. And he's like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I guess we'll see. Right. And so then the son goes to break the stallion. And while he's trying to break the stallion, he breaks his leg. And then the neighbors are like, oh, you're so unlucky. Your son broke his leg. <laughs> That's so unlucky. And the farmer's like, oh, maybe, maybe not. I guess we'll see. And then the next day, the military come to, um, you know, to draft his son into the service. And his son can't go because of the broken leg, right? They don't take him. And so again, like the neighbors are, you're so lucky. You're so lucky. He's like, maybe, maybe not. I guess we'll see, right? And this is... 
this is life. <laughs> and I had to go through all those really difficult learning experiences as an entrepreneur before. This time it was like, oh, I know how to do this. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just, it's been very um, intuitive. It's just kind of flowed. You know what I mean? I feel like I just know what to do and how to pull things together and how to network in a way that has just really worked out. And I feel like the moms that are doing this work blow my mind. You know, mm. I'm just there to, to hold space for them, but they're doing the work and it's really incredible to, to see the shifts and to witness mm. their growth. Right. Mm. Like, mm. yeah, it's beautiful. So. You started out this conversation saying that you're optimistic and I feel optimistic too. Oh, yay. <laughs> yay. I, there was a comment after my interview with um, Wider Lens. I saw it on on YouTube. And it was basically, this was so depressing. You shouldn't have even published this one. <laughs> <laughs> so it resonates with some people. It doesn't resonate with everybody. And that is, that's uh, fine. <laughs> that's yeah. fine. Yeah. This is fun. Thank yeah. You. Thank you so much. This is playful. And, and, uh, I like playful explore, exploratory. I will link everything of your work down in the description and encourage people to check out your Substack, Um, especially people who are looking for, uh, the resources that you are providing. And I wish you a lot of luck in your professional life. I think that you're, you're onto something, you're fulfilling a great need and the women who are involved in this work and the men too, uh, on the counseling and the supporting of the families specifically are very by and large very great people um and and it's that's that's the kind of person that's actually you know helping helping people rather than fighting the culture war and i in my I, you know this this will be published right after i publish something that'll be very culture war-y you know, like, so they're connected, you know, like this ideology yeah. and what the doctors are doing and all that stuff like needs to be exposed. But like, this is the human. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think I would say too, the culture is going through its own. I've heard this before and I kind of love it. It's own adolescence, yeah. right? Like I, another part of this that makes me optimistic and I, I hate that there's so much collateral damage, but I think we are really being invited to look at how we're doing things and to figure out better ways that support that quality human experience. So I think that's what the kids are telling us. Things aren't working. It's time. It's time for some different ways of doing things. So. Let's change. Yeah. Let's adapt. <laughs> yeah. Let's adapt. Okay. That's a great place to start.